turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. So that's in the New Testament that goes past the four Gospels. And you end up, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you end up in Acts. So, I got this thing, I always wonder, which, which worship song am I going to be singing throughout the week? And it's probably going to be Blessed Be the Name now. Because Did you hear me? I just did it. All right. Well, I'm so glad that you are here this morning. Uh, we're going to start a new series called uh, His Mission. And uh, we uh, won't be through a specific book of the Bible, but we will be uh, looking at the mission of Christ. This, this week, it's His mission given. Uh, we will be in Acts again next week as we look at the content of the mission and consider uh, what Paul taught, especially Paul's uh, testimony. And, and next week, I'm going to share with you, there are many ways that, uh, um, that we've come up with uh, to share the gospel with someone. I want to share our new, um, we can call it a, a method, a new way uh, next week. Just want to let you know. And I'm also going to tell you, I'm going to be using a whiteboard. And I have this little little one here. I'll do my best. Maybe I can, I can find a bigger one before next week. And I'm going to move it over here in a moment. But I'm just telling you now, you know, you're going to want to be forward. I'll write as big as I can. But you've got two problems. One, you have a small whiteboard and my writing's bad. So the closer you are to it, the better it gets. And I'll just, just let you know that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been entrusted with a mission. Okay. If you consider yourself a real Christian, and I hope you do, that means that God has given you a mission. Jesus has given you a mission in this world. Jesus does not entrust His mission to a few. He does not entrust it to some. He does not entrust it to many. He entrusts it to all of His followers, all who call Him Lord and Savior. If you chose to follow Him, if you surrendered your life and submitted yourself to Him, you have received His mission. You are to be on His mission. So let me just ask this question. You don't have to raise your hands. I'll have another question later. We'll raise our hands. But are you aware of His mission for you? Are you conscious of and convicted of and, and, and understand that you have a mission given to you from Jesus? If not, there's something that's not right in your followership of Jesus. If I don't realize I'm on a mission for Jesus, then something is disconnected between me and Jesus. Something isn't right with my faith. And my discipleship is missing something. To be a follower of Jesus is to be on mission. To live under His mission. And here's point one. The problem with having a mission is that it gets in the way of life as we want it to be. The problem with having a mission is it just simply interferes with our lives. When you have a mission, listen, you don't just simply go to work. You don't just go to school. You don't just go home. You don't just go to the store. You don't just go and hang out with your friends. If you have a mission, then in all those spheres and beyond, you are serving the will of God amongst those people and in those places where you find yourself. We must be about the business of our Heavenly Father. Following Jesus is having a mission. And it always interferes with our will and our plan. So in other words, <laughs> let's just be honest here. 
To be a follower of Christ is to realize that my will butts heads with God's will. Right? Me and God butt heads. Uh, God in His mercy allows it and then uses discipline and, and, and conviction to bring me in line with His will. But in the beginning, our, our heads but, but wills, um, our, our, yeah, our wills butt heads. That's what I want to say. So, um, we're reluctant. C.S. Lewis talks about, and C.S. Lewis, uh, you know, Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity. Uh, he talks about when he became a Christian. This is basically what he did. He, he approached it logically and he finally came to the conclusion. He was an atheist. He finally came to the conclusion there is a God. Jesus is God and I have to surrender my life to Him. So this is what he said happened. He says, that night, I was the most reluctant convert in all of Europe, or I think it's all of England. I got down on my knees and said, okay, God, I guess you really do exist. I'll follow you. Finally, I'll do it, Okay. <laughs> And he writes later on, God in His mercy accepted that reluctant prayer. So to butt heads with God, in one sense, means at least you're engaging with God. And God, and I mean this in a nice way, has a bigger head, right? He's going to win that. But following Jesus, when you chose to follow Jesus, you chose His mission. I want to uh, just read to you Matthew 16, 24 and 25. It should be over our head and it should also be in your notes. Listen to this. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That means give up your will. I probably should also use the word repent. Remember when we come to Christ, we are to repent. We just kind of think of that in a, in a nice way. Oh, oh, yeah, I'll repent. Repent means to totally give up one way and turn to another way. Give up my way of living. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Some people... And they came to Christ thought, well, I didn't really have to repent. I hadn't done any big sins in my life. And if, if you came to Christ and you hadn't been a major sinner before, wonderful. But you still followed your will. <laughs> you may have been raised in the church. You were still going your own way. There has to come a time where you say, no longer my will, my mission. I'm turning from that. That's repent and turning to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Whoever... It means anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Every year at the beginning of school, if you have students in the Benina Unified School District, you have to sign a plethora of forms, a lot. And we have a person that works for the school district here, so I'm just hoping she ignores what I'm about to say. But when it's when my kids got into high school, the forms tripled, right? And uh, so I said, I will. I read them all, and I made these. The, I made them read them all their freshman year. Then sophomore year, exact same. All these forms, I'm like, all right, we're going to read through them again because we, we don't sign anything we don't read. By junior year, all right, I just want you to glance through it. By senior year, here, sign here. I signed there, and we were done. <laughs> when we came to Christ, we we took this seriously. In a sense, we signed off on it. But after a while, yeah, take up my cross, deny myself. It kind of just became something we just... I think I know what that says. I think I know what it means. It means we are surrendered to the will of Christ and are on mission for Him. The problem with having a mission, it gets in the way of life as we want to do it. When it comes to missions in this world, and we'll call them lesser missions, we have a combative relationship. 
When someone has something for us to do other than our will, it's instantly combative. Simple example. Jury duty summons. You know what I mean? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you get that letter and you open it up is, how can I get out of this? Right? You go instantly to, uh, uh, most of us go to, we'll delay it and, and hopefully it'll just go away, right? How can I get out of this? Because the will of the county normally has just come against our will and our plans. We're combative with the mission that others have for us. Uh, ironically, we are told to be subject to the government. And if you get a chance to serve on jury duty, you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have the opportunity to bring the righteousness and the justice and mercy of God to someone who may have been treated unjustly. Whether they are the defendant or they are the, the victim. So, just think of that next time you get it. Uh, see, we need an example for those who've never had to do uh, jury duty uh, of a combative mission, chores. As soon as you see the garbage overflowing in your home, you say to yourself, oh, finally, an opportunity for me to uh, express or to, to help out in my home and express my gratitude for this house and this household and this family that God has provided for me. So that's what we think in ourselves when we see the garbage overflowing, right? No. Someone else will see that, right? You know the biggest mistakes uh, as parents we make when it comes to new dogs, and I don't know how to not make this mistake, is the rule. I can remember this rule, my dad setting down this rule, and I had this rule. If you see the dog poop, it's your responsibility to pick it up. So what does everybody do? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Even these little missions, are you with me? They, they grate at us. They cause us frustration. We go, ugh. Right? So if these little missions cause us frustration, why should we think that we, oh, yes, of course we accept the great mission that God has given to us. We have a combative relationship also with the mission that God has given to us. If we despise that mission or just simply ignore it or don't realize we're on mission or we're frustrated with God's mission or we simply don't keep His mission in mind, we are expressing the same attitude as we do towards jury duty and to chores in our home. We just have to come and admit we have a combative relationship. We, we really don't want to do the mission. So, so what we're going to read here in Acts, we're going to read verses 4 through 11, is what we might call the succession story or the handoff story. Jesus is handing off His mission to His disciples who in this story also represent us because if you go on in Acts, you'll see that everybody who follows Christ is a disciple. So in Acts, we're just going to read verses 4 through 11. And some of you who know, know the Bible, know Old Testament stories, might see something familiar here. You may think of Moses handing off to Joshua. Uh, because at, when Moses gave all authority or was given to Joshua, Moses was out of the picture totally. He actually, he died. Uh, but the big one you probably think of is Elijah handing off his ministry to Elisha. Uh, and that's in the background here. Uh, similar elements. Because uh, Elijah ascended to heaven. And in here, we're going to see Jesus ascends to heaven. 
And Elijah said to Elisha, if you, isn't that confusing? Couldn't they have been like Elijah and Fred? That would have been easy. But Elijah says to Elisha, if you see me leave, you will receive a double portion of my spirit. And here Jesus is going to say something about us receiving the power of his spirit. So uh, read with me, if you will. I'll read and just follow along. Verses 4 through 11. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them, his disciples, this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them, uh, hid him from their sight. When they were looking intently up into the skies, he was going. Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking unto the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Lord, help us to hear what your word has to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, that verse 8 is a very well-known verse. You will be my witnesses. And, and um, if you are into memorizing scripture, if you uh, ever memorize that one, I would say refresh yourself with it. If, you, if you've gotten... Um, forgotten it a bit, or if you want to memorize it, that's a wonderful passage to have memorized. Extraordinary mission. This is the, 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 the two things I want to get out of this passage. So point two for this morning. Extraordinary mission requires extraordinary power. Extraordinary mission, and this is the most extraordinary mission, requires extraordinary power. The more, more universally important the mission, the more difficult the mission. The greater the need for highly skilled, multi-talented person to pull it off. All right. The more important, the greater the mission, the more the need for skilled, talented, gifted, empowered people to pull it off. So, a uh, simple example, mission impossible. Now, when I say mission impossible, some of you think Peter Graves, and some of you think Tom Cruise. How many of you think, well, I could just tell Judy, went, oh, Peter Graves, he's so, he was so handsome, right? All right. Some of you are thinking Peter Graves and some are, are Tom Cruise. Now, in those shows, you'd think either one. They both work. They had to save the world all the time. But they could do it because they knew how to pick locks. They knew how to knock people out. Right? They knew how to, uh, to hack computers. They knew how to ride motorcycles and fly helicopters. And they spoke five languages. They could save the world. If the fate of the world were entrusted to me, I would come to you and say, go home and kiss your families. There's nothing I can do about it. We, we are, are more capable of, of many missions, right? Little missions. Like, uh, um, we're out of milk. I know what to do. Wouldn't it be cool if Mission Impossible themes started dun, 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 but go to the store and get the milk. I'm saving the house. Or there's ants in the kitchen. How many of you have said that this, said that this summer many times? Stand back. I got this. I know what to do. So here's Jesus not giving us a mission to save the world. His mission is to redeem all of creation. It's a universal mission. 
To say that we are out of our league is uh, a major understatement. So what is Jesus thinking? Jesus entrusts the extraordinary mission to ordinary people. Ordinary meaning not no particular skills or, or gifting. He entrusts the extraordinary mission to ordinary pe- people whom he gives extraordinary power. There it is. You say, how can I contribute to the saving of all creation? I'm just ordinary. It's because Jesus has given to us extraordinary power. I was uh, in a meeting with some pastors this week, and one of them is named Pastor Dave Dahlberg. He, he's a, a pastor in Arizona in the Wesleyan Church. And he asked his church uh, five questions. I think it was four or five questions every Sunday. He said it too fast. I couldn't write them all down, so I have to email him this week. But, but two of the questions he asked, or I think I have three of them, were this. One, do you share your faith? Did you share your faith with someone this week? Your hope in Jesus, your joy in Jesus, your relationship with God? through Christ? Did you share that with someone this week? He asks his people to either nod their heads or raise their hands. So let's do it. Difficult. Did you share your faith with someone this week? If so, raise your hand. And I'm, I'm included in this. Okay. Awesome. If we have a couple. Three. Four. Awesome. Awesome. Woo-hoo. All right. How can we keep more, more hands keep coming up as we go on? <laughs> it's safe to say. Now let's, let's go. That most of us just don't. Did you think about won't make you raise hands this time. Did we even think about it? Did it come across our mind, our mission to serve God this week? And for many of us, the answer, a little bit. Did it come across your, your, yourself, uh, your mind a lot? The second question he asks is, is, did you spend time, five minutes in prayer this week? And then he asks, did you spend uh, at least five minutes in the Word of God this week? Now, the fact that many of us didn't share our faith or didn't think about it, I didn't ask us that this morning to embarrass us or make us feel guilty, but to simply show us we need power. We are so ordinary, we forget. We forget to remember we're on mission. And then when we do, by the grace of God, remember on mission, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I, I think I know the answer to this one. How many of you, when you shared your faith, were a little bit intimidated? And all of us are. <laughs> if if uh, Peter and Paul, who even admits to being afraid, were intimidated to share their faith, I think the only one in the New Testament who wasn't was Jesus. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right on that. We need the empowerment of God. And that empowerment comes through, listen, proximity to Jesus. Through prayer. Through being in His Word. Um, If you don't believe me here, I'm trying to think if i got ahead of myself. Yeah, I want to do this first. Alright, I'm bringing over the whiteboard. So, uh, put on your uh, binoculars or whatever you need to see it this morning. I set this up last night. I tested it. We'll see how well it goes this morning. I just want us to to see if we can list here a few what we might call inadequacies. What makes us inadequate to be able to be on Jesus' mission? All right. What are some inadequacies? And I'll I'll help uh, up here and we'll say, um, don't know what to say. I'm going to cheat, okay? 
Would you say that's an inadequacy? All right. What are some other things we go, I can't be on mission for Jesus because I'm to this or to that or any others? We're absent-minded. All right. So, not... I'm going to do it this way, Tony. Enough brain power. Lack of brain power. Yeah, that would have been easy. Easier. Lack of brain power. Okay. What else? An inadequacy for the mission, this extraordinary mission. How are you not like Peter Graves and Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> okay. Um, should we, can, can we just put fear there? Is that okay? Uh, lack of confidence, fear. And I'll also write intimidation because that's part of it too. Let me just throw these in because they're obvious. Um, too young. Too old. And not good look, looking enough. No, I won't put that in there. Anybody want to throw out another one? Not enough knowledge. Okay, yes. Yes, I'm going to just write um, knowledge. Or training. We think that too. In, I believe it's in, in Peter. This verse is coming to me now, so I don't have time to look it up. But um, uh, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. That's just simple. How, how can you have joy or peace in the midst of this? I, I, God is giving it to me. I put my trust in Jesus. So, so here's what I want you, want you just to see. And the reason I wrote this up here, maybe I'll choose another uh, color here, is that the power Jesus gives to us removes all inadequacies. All of them. Not some, but all. Because it is great power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who does this incredible work in us with our spirit. There are, just as it doesn't matter if you're ordinary, there are no longer anything, any inadequacies, oh my goodness, any inadequacies in us to keep us from the mission that Jesus has given to us. You say amen to that? This is what this means. So, so now, you know, in the Old Testament, you read the story of Elijah to Elisha, and you think, man, that Elisha. And the miracles that he did, wow, that was cool. That was power. We have something greater than Elisha. <laughs> we have power greater because God has uh, fully unloaded. Elijah got a double portion. Of whatever, I'm sorry, Elisha got a double portion of Elijah. I don't know how that works in the spiritual realm with God. But let's say Elijah had a 10, and then Elisha, that would have mean he got 20. All right, just make sure we know Matthew, right? But we, you can't even measure it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit falls, and so we, we have more than Elisha. In fact, Jesus even said, because we received the Spirit, we're going to do greater things than he did. But notice this. Power is directly related to our proximity to Jesus. So hopefully your Bibles are still open. Look at verse uh, 4 here. On one occasion while he was eating with them. Where were the disciples? At a meal with Jesus. They were together with him. See that? That's verse 4. Uh, now look at verse 6. They were gathered around him. That seems like a huddle to me. I, maybe because... 
It's a sports thing, huh? Maybe you think of a different picture there, but they were gathered around him. Uh, who can uh, tell me or, or shout out loud what verse 14 says? Anybody? So if you were closer, you wouldn't be so intimidated. Verse 14. What's, they all joined together. They were praying together. And by the way, we think they were in the same upper room they were in when, when Jesus uh, gave a communion to them. They were all gathered together. And then chapter 2, uh, verse 1. Someone else. Just read real quick. What does it say? If your Bible's not open, you're not going to get a smiley face for today. Say that again. At the day of Pentecost, they were all together. Remember, they were praying and where two or more gathered, there He is in their midst. Our proximity to Jesus. This is why Pastor Dave says, have you been praying? You've been spending time uh, with the Lord. One of his questions is coming back to my mind. You spend five minutes just listening, still in the presence of God every week. And that is how power comes. Even the power, I loved it, Tony, uh, to remember, not enough brain power, that I'm on mission here. Lord, show me how I can serve you in, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, with my friends. Okay. We need great power because, point three, the mission always moves us away from our places of comfort. So, uh, two big takeaways from this morning is one, everybody, every follower of Jesus is on mission, right? You got that locked down. If you say Jesus is Lord, my Lord, I am a follower of Christ, you are on his mission. And the second one is, is this. His mission is always uncomfortable. His mission always leads us away from our places of comfort. So, Jesus' uh, mission strategy. And I, I wrote in my notes, Jesus' radical mission strategy. But to, to, to be on Jesus' mission, it's, it's, um, it's always going to bring change. I don't know if you need the word radical, but I'll leave it in there. So, he says here, back in verse uh, 8 of chapter 1, you will be my witnesses. That's a radical idea already. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay? You saw that? And you've heard this preached on uh, many times. I don't really have anything new to add to you, except simply to say this was a radical change in mindset for a Jew. Because this is how they were on mission. And in case you didn't know, uh, God gave the Jews a mission. It's found in the Old Testament. They were to be a light to the nations. They failed in that mission. That was one of the reasons His discipline came down on them. By the way, God did not reject the Jewish people. He disciplined them. He saved a remnant uh, for Himself uh, who will, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't want to get too much in end time stuff, but who will come to Christ somehow. All right. But their idea of being on mission was come to Jerusalem and worship God at the temple. And Jesus says, that's not the way we're going to do it anymore. This is His radical change. The, the mission of Jesus always moves us away. Now, that was a comfortable mission. They made it difficult because they said, well, we don't like certain people coming to our temple. <laughs> so they put up barriers and made rules and, and did all kinds of stuff to keep the nations from coming to their temple. Jesus now says the mission isn't to stay here and invite people to the temple. It's to go out. But we like it here. We know this place. This is where we can just be ourselves. We know how to worship here. We know how to do things. And Jesus says, well, you're going to have to do things differently. 
a light to the nations would still be part of our mission, but now we take that light out instead of in bringing people to it. And we become the light. The strategy of the Old Testament worked in the American church for a time. I want to write something up here uh, just to explain this to you. This comes from our district superintendent, uh, uh, Phil Stevenson. What do I do with the, with the other pen? Oh, see, I already, I'm already losing things. All right, we, we'll have to use blue. Oh, there it is. Um, he did this. I think I sent a link out to you to the talk. If not, I will, I will get it out to you. But this is how it worked in the American church um, generally for a long time. In the 50s and 60s, it was all about membership. Oh, boy. Men. There it is. Okay? So come and be like us. Come and join our group. And it worked. Some of you may remember a time where if you owned a business, it helped to tell people you were a member of a church. Plus, if you were a member of a church, you had connections there. And people would say, oh, this is what you do. And they would tell their friends, oh, I'm a friend of my church. And so to be a member of a church was a good thing. You were looking for an identity and many found their identity through church membership. And then this shifted. And in the, we'll say the 70s, uh, kind of through the 90s, it was about ministry. And in that area, era, if you were part of the church, you probably took a spiritual gifts test, right? Um, shape, uh, different types of spirit. It was about um, learning skills so you could serve. And that, that met a need in our nation. People wanted to serve. People uh, wanted to be a part of something. Wanted to be, um, learn skills and, and do good things. So that actually was attractional in one sense to the church. People would come to that. But we are no longer in those times. And by the way, I just would point this out to you. Uh, in those times, the megachurch grew up as well. Now, I am not anti-megachurch. I, I think megachurches are, are, are wonderful. Those that are God-fearing and teach the Word of God. The problem is our perception of megachurch is that we think, well then, if those churches have thousands of people going to them, then our nation must be becoming a Christian nation. But that's not happening. In fact, Dr. Wayne Schmidt, our general superintendent, just was writing an article and he said, in North, in North America, the church is losing ground. Now, when I say that, you go, but there's so many people going to those churches. There's so few. Now, if we had, if we had as many mega churches as we do small churches, churches under a thousand, uh, then Christianity would be doing very well in America. But the church is losing ground because we need to shift. And this is where we have to go in the 2000s. We need to shift to, and you can see this, to mission. Both of these, membership and ministry, were all about coming into the church. Mission is about getting the church, the light of Christ, out into our world. And the church is having a difficult time Adjusting to this, uh, Dr. Schmidt, uh, again, he's the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church. In this article he wrote, it's mind blowing. Five billion people in our world have not yet heard or had the opportunity to hear the gospel or the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And you would say, but we're missionaries everywhere, there are churches everywhere. But people aren't going to the churches. So you can have a church in every zip code in America. 
And it won't make a difference unless the church is on mission, getting out to where the people who are no longer going or attracted to the church are to hear what Christ did for them. In the book of Acts, the going out is interesting. It looks like this. First, uh, and, and I'll just tell you this. We don't have to go to each passage. But in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls. They're in a house in the upper room. And immediately they go out into the street. So the first movement of the Holy Spirit is and power is get out of your house. And pretty soon in Acts, we find them in the temple area preaching the Word of God. And then it's get out of your neighborhood. And then in Acts 10, we find Peter in another city, in a city called Joppa, Jewish area. So it's get out of town. <laughs> and then from Joppa, the Holy Spirit has to get involved because there is no way, no way Peter, a good Jew, would ever travel to Caesarea and meet with Gentiles. But the Holy Spirit's involved and there's dreams and, and amazing things happen. And you know that story in Acts 10. And so he leaves Caesarea. I think it's uh, 62. Oh, man, I hate when I do it. 62 kilometers. I have no idea what that is in miles, but that's what I read last night. I usually convert that for myself. But he had to go all the way to Caesarea. And that time it was get out of your culture. Get out of your culture. <laughs> You could say in a sense country, even though it, was a, it still all belonged to the Romans. And then pretty soon, if you keep going on in Acts, you end up getting out of your continent. It's always moving out. So when you find yourself in your, in your home, your workplace, it's the Spirit of God moving you out to others from your place of comfort that, to, to minister, to serve to show them the love of Christ, to tell them about the love of Christ away from our comfort zone. And here's where we're going to end this morning. We have to ask the question, why do it? What could possibly have motivated the, the, uh, the apostles and the disciples in the New Testament? What motivated them? And simply this, it was their love for their Lord. That was the only thing that could possibly motivate us to be on mission, uh, to seek the power and proximity to Jesus and to move out of our places of comfort. They love and were devoted to Jesus. Believe it or not, it's not easy to see, but we see this here at the end of uh, uh, the passage we read this morning in Acts. Because where are, where are they? They're looking up and they're watching Jesus, which is a, which is a very Jerusalem thing to do. They saw Jesus ascend. They're thinking you know, Old Testament, Son of Man, and, and uh, they're looking at Him ascend. And then the disciples, I mean, sorry, these two men in white and in Luke, those, those were angels, they show up. It says, why are you looking into the sky? Jesus is going to return the same way He left. Now, so if that's true, then they should just stay there looking up. Right? Are you with me? But they knew that meant something else. That meant that they were to pursue the return or they were to look forward to the return of Christ, not by looking into the sky, because this is a command from God to these angels, but by doing the gritty work of mission. It's nice and clean and easy and simple to stand looking up at Jesus and waiting for Him to return. But when you read through Acts, you see that mission for Christ is always gritty, grimy, and difficult, and it's looking at others. 
never giving up the desire of the hope. I want you to know that we as Christians should not in the least bit allow our desire for Christ to return and our desire to be with Him face to face to diminish in any way. The disciples are not doing that here. In fact, at the end of, of his life, the Apostle um, Paul wrote this to Timothy. This is Second Timothy verses. I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. I'll say that again because some of you like going there later. Second Timothy chapter four, verses six through eight. I am already poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Get this. The real Christian who longs for Jesus to return is on mission. And if you find your desire for Jesus to return has waned a little bit, it's probably because Acts chapter 1 uh, verses uh, 10, 11, uh, sorry, 9 through 11. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. It's probably because you're not on mission. The desire for Christ to return pulls us to obey Him. Our love for Him pulls us to obey Him, to look into our world and see how we can serve Him on mission. So I simply close with this question Will you accept? And will you seek to be faithful to the mission Christ has given to you? This week, our assignment, proximity. Will you take five minutes to pray every day? Will you take five minutes to read God's Word every day? And if, if, um, start where you want if you don't have any place, but don't flip around every day. Start somewhere and then just progress from there every day. Will you take five minutes just to be still before God? And will you ask Him during these times to empower you and help you to be about His mission? Can we do that? If so, say, Amen. Alright, will you stand with me as, as we pray and the worship team comes, comes forward? This, actually, I'll leave that there for now. Well, that might block you, huh? We don't want to do that. Let's make this a prayer of, of confession and a, and a prayer of seeking God's power and, and, a, and a prayer of even inspiration. Gracious, almighty God in heaven. We like the word mission when the mission is go to Cosmos and get a banana milkshake. I love that mission. When the mission is easy and within the parameters of our will. But this mission of, of moving away from our comfort zone, Lord Jesus... We confess to you, we, we want to just kind of sign off without reading it. We want to say we're on it without actually thinking or, or considering or seeking the power that we need to do it. We confess to you we have not been faithful to the mission. As individual followers and, and even at times as a church. Father, we, we believe your mission to us, and we say it this way, is to help our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, to help them find you, Jesus. And once they find you, to disciple them, help them follow you. Renew our desire. Renew our conviction. Renew our understanding. Renew, Lord, our commitment to seek power by being in proximity to you, Jesus. 
Renew our surrender, Lord, to being moved away from our places of comfort so that we might faithfully serve your mission, Jesus. And bless this uh, sermon series as we go through learning about your mission. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.